Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. Right, welcome to the Waiting List Podcast, where today I'm joined by none other than fellow podcaster, Ricky, from the well-known Scottish Watches Podcast. It's great to have you here and welcome, Ricky. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. How's, uh, how's everything in Scotland these days? Up and down. I'll be talking yeah. generally, weather-wise, COVID-wise, watch-wise. Uh, yeah, let's start off down. Are you guys still in lockdown? No, no. We've managed to escape that, thankfully, and have been for the past few months. Although things got a little bit tricky maybe two or three weeks ago when the number started to skyrocket, but they've kind of leveled off a little bit now, so everything seems okay. Because I heard on one of your podcasts, you said something like, you know, England was back having the gatherings and stuff, but Scotland still wasn't quite there yet. Yeah, our first minister, we've got a slightly different political system than the rest of the UK. We've got our own kind of devolved government, which is basically a joke. We still follow what England do, but we tend to do it a couple of weeks after they do. And they were able to open up nightclubs and events and all the rest of it. And we weren't, we had to wait another few weeks afterwards. But now everything's kind of open. We still have to wear masks when we're in public, uh, not public places, but private places. If we're in bars, restaurants, we have to wear masks until we're seated and then we can take them off. But we're slowly surely getting better. And with the COVID, it, uh, the vaccine passport that's kind of coming in, hopefully things will get even better and we can do more mm. and more. Mm. How about so, where you guys are at? Well, I'm in Shanghai. Long Long's in Hong Kong. <laughs> and Jacqueline's in Vancouver. Right. Yeah. Well spread so, across the place. Yeah, yeah. We've always had to do this via Zoom, actually. Like, our podcast actually started during COVID. Uh, I don't know if you know that. But when did you actually start doing your podcast, Scottish Watches? Well, the daft idea to start it was the end of 2018. And the first episode we recorded and put out was the start of January 2019. And we coincided it with all the news releases coming out with SIHH. If you're going to launch something, you might as well start it in the busiest period. And it kind of helped us do two. We accidentally did two shows that first week because of all the news that was coming out. And then we had to kind of keep that momentum going stupidly for the next nearly three years. So that's how we're up at nearly 300 episodes in less than three years. Wow. 300 episodes. Are you kind of like, well, you must be one of the leaders right now with that many episodes, right? We are the biggest watch podcast on the planet by numbers and volume, and we are probably third or fourth by the figures weekly under the likes of Hodinkee, the Grey NATO, Worn and Wound, stuff like that. So uh, I know you kind of started this as a kind of joke, right? But what was the joke? <laughs> what was the joke? What was the joke? The joke? Well, it started off, I went to a Red Bar event. And if anybody doesn't know what that is, they should be more educated. Everybody should know what Red Bar is. Um, for those that don't, it is a worldwide community of watch enthusiasts that gather and meet at different places with different chapters in different regions. And I found out about one by pure accident. And I went along, didn't know anybody, felt a little bit out of sorts because unless you know there are other people in the world that like watches, you feel a little bit alien. As if yeah. you're on your own island and you know you can't really explain this to people who think you're a little bit crazy. Turned up and there was like-minded people there. Spoke to a few folks, it was great. And then went back home, went on Instagram 
and the person that had organised it, we were on his Instagram page, and I started commenting. And another guy that had been at the meetup, he was commenting. His name was Rick TikTok, and we just kind of started bantering back and forward. And we came up with the idea, oh, you know, maybe we should do a podcast. There already was one podcast in Scotland, but it was quite sporadic the way they were releasing it. They didn't really have a massive interview segment to it. It was just a couple of guys having whiskey, talking watches for a couple of hours. And we thought, well, we could do something maybe a little bit funnier than that because they're quite serious and technical. And we came up with a stupid name for it because we're both called Richard. And the shorthand version of that is Dick. We said we could call it wrist action with a couple of dicks. And we had a good old laugh about it. Obviously, we were never going to do anything like that because we'd get blocked straight off iTunes immediately. But the seed was sown. Then a couple of weeks later, we were at a store launch in Glasgow in Scotland here. And we met up in real life. I walked into the room and there was this bellowing voice coming from one of the couches. And I wandered over and it just so happened to be the same guy that I'd been having a joke with on Instagram. So we sat, we spoke for about an hour or so, looked at some nice watches, got to look at some pre-owned ceramic Daytonas, some Royal Oaks. All the nice stuff that you can't get at retail. And from there, we decided to start a website. From that, we decided to do the podcast. And the website kind of got left at the side once the podcast took over because people seemed to like it. So we're, we kind of stuck to what was working and pushed forward with it. Um, that's how we, we kind of started things off. That's quite a rapid progression because you just said you went to a Red Bar event and you're quite timid. And then like within a very short space of time, you're like, let's do a watch podcast. Well, yes. Uh, I wouldn't say I was super timid. There's been points in my life where I've been scared of public speaking up yeah. until fairly recently. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of changeover points in my life where things happened. I had a, a near-fatal motorcycle accident about six years ago, and that really changed my perspective on everything. It made me realise that who cares what other people think? You've not got a lot of time on this planet. You might as well make the most of it. And that's when I came out of my shell. Maybe I got a little bit of brain damage when I get hit with the, the car, but hey, those things kind of happen. Um, but no, from going from having an idea of a podcast, or sorry, meeting up at an event to starting the podcast, my background was in publishing media, audiovisual stuff. I did wedding photography, music events, things like that, fitness classes, gym videos. I was always on the opposite side of the microphone or the opposite side of the camera. So although it was a bit of a strange changeover to switch 180 and be in front of the lens and in front of the mic, it seemed to be okay. And it was a subject that was fairly easy to me because I was so interested in watches and what was happening. It wasn't something where I had to do a lot of research. I was naturally absorbing Hodinkee, a blog to watch, monochrome, quill and pad, all these guys on a daily basis. So all this knowledge was kind of floating around my head and I was just taking those thoughts and putting them out onto the podcast. So it turned out fairly easy, thankfully. You've kind of like just skipped over very quickly about this uh, motorcycle accident. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it sounds like it was a life-changing moment for you. Uh, how would you describe you before the accident and then how you are now, apart from how you seem to grasp the opportunity? I would say before the bike accident, I was scared of everything life general am i going to make wages is the company i'm working for going to sack me are they going to going to go out of business i'm going to have to find something else to do am i going to have to sell my car those kind of natural problems that most people think of you're kind of you know, in the back of your head there's always worries and then when i had the bike accident and i was lying in hospital at 4 a.m 
recounting what happened, how did I end up here, what mistake was it that I made that caused this problem, I realised that none of that kind of matters. And a couple of philosophies came into play, ones that I've carried on from that day forward. Don't sweat, don't sweat the small stuff. Um, do everything you can in life to enjoy yourself as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. And um, there's a couple other ones along the way, but those are kind of the main ones that, you know, you don't know how long you've got. You could wake up tomorrow, walk outside and a truck hits you. And you've been saving up, saving up, saving up. Never went to a restaurant, never indulged yourself in the slight basics in life. Bought yourself the t-shirt, bought yourself the nice car, went on the holiday and then your life's over. So it's all about balance and not being scared. And when I had the bike accident just after that, I decided I wasn't super happy where I was working. I was getting messed around a lot and I thought, well, you're in control of your own destiny. So I might as well just take the plunge and became self-employed, started the freelance business. And since then, I've not looked back and I don't get scared anymore. Because once you get out of a car, nothing else really scares you. Hmm. Can I ask, sounds a bit of a stupid question, but did you know you were scared at that time before the accident? Or is it something that you reflected back on and thought, you know, back then I was scared? I think if you're living in constant, I don't not fear or not anxiety, but you're in a constant level, until that's taken away or until that dramatically increases, you don't notice. Okay. It's you're if yeah. you're in a, I've used this example for other things, say you're in a, a relationship with your partner, um, mm -hmm. you know, an emotional, physical relationship, romantic, and things are on an even keel, but then you break up and you look over your shoulder and you say, wow, I feel so much better now. I can't believe for the past five, six years, that's what I dealt with. It's only when you kind of look back, you see that things were bad and things are better now. And I kind of see that now. At the time, I was stressed out, I had issues, but yeah, you're right. Looking back now, I can probably see it a lot clearer than in the moment because you just think that's the norm and everyone else is going through the same thing. Because I've had a few moments like that in my life, right? I haven't had an accident. Well, I have actually had an accident, but I would say, <laughs> apart from being scared, I would just think I was a complete dick. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I'll just put it straight up there. Like, I think I was a complete dick. I, I certainly don't think um, I could forge the relationships I share with these two girls on the podcast if, you know, they had met me before certain moments in my life. I, I just can't see yet why I was any, you know, positive energy or influence on anybody's life. I, I think so I had what, my priorities, like, really just incorrect, you know. What changed it for you then? I think the biggest moment was when I came to China, right? And um, I think before that, you know, I was fairly arrogant, um, fairly judgmental, not fairly, very judgmental. Uh, and, you know, just thought, because I had a, a few bucks in my pocket that, you know, I knew everything and that everything was going to go well. And, and as you kind of mentioned, right, life throws you curveballs that really you realize you are just a fleeting moment in time in this world. And actually you're not that significant. And um, so which, there comes a point, no matter were what you, based... you do, I was in the UK, right? So right. I decided to move from the UK to Shanghai, really just to, I kind of got, I think the best way to say it is I got bored in the UK. So okay. I could see my path and I thought, yeah, it's an easy path. 
it's not the path I kind of want. It's too easy. Let's try something else. Let's see how far I can go, which is, I think, a fairly valid argument. Um, you know, if you're not happy with life, you should make a move yeah, or make a change. So I decided to make a change. Um, and in the first few years, you know, settling in China, just I'll just, you know, use one example. I was using like a Western mentality to judge how people were doing things in China. Right. Okay. And thinking, why do they do it like this? They should be doing it like this. Why is there no Google? Why is there no YouTube? Why is there like blah, blah, blah? Why, you know, like this stuff is so much better than like China. It isn't actually. What it is, is I'm so plugged in to a certain system that I can't adapt. I'm so unadaptable. Right. Like people around in China, they're doing completely fine. I'm the one that has a problem. So surely, you know, the problem lies with me. And it's then, like walking up to a farmer in a remote village who has the most idyllic life in the world because he is immune to the rest of the world and technology. He's quite yeah. happy in his bubble. Yeah. The thing is, is what I've come to realize is that China has developed a lot of the infrastructure without a hefty amount of American influence, American infrastructure. And it's just fine. You know, mm. it's just an example of how something develops differently. And uh, I love, I kind of relish that challenge now of having to adapt and see new things and try and keep an open mind. And so it really, really did open my mind up to people, uh, to how things are done. Because generally I would say, and I think I mentioned this on a recent podcast, but they were like, do you miss the UK? Or maybe you even asked me. In the, in the prequel, yeah. like, it's quite difficult for me to answer that because I love so many aspects of China. But one thing I did say was if you go down London or if you go down anywhere, the average kind of education level, I would say, is at a higher level. They seem to know, you know, you could talk to anybody about a lot of stuff and they could go quite in depth with you. And that isn't always the case with China, you know, the, the differentiation, because there's so many different types of people, you can't always have that. And that's something that you have to respect, you know, because they have a different perspective on things, um, their understanding of things will be different. And it's not necessarily, it's not their fault, you know, or it, it's, it's not like, it's not my perspectives, right? Because I have a different view, because I've seen more. And so it's right. Yeah. So you have an appreciation and understanding of, of that. And also communication. I think long, long might know. Sometimes it at the beginning was super frustrating for me communicating because uh, the way things are spoken was so different from like England and how British people speak. Yeah. And that was, I just used to get really annoyed with teachers in the parking attendant, you know, not giving me a space or just saying the wrong thing. It just triggered me. And I'd be like, right. but then I was just thinking, you know, God, you know, everybody else is fine. Why am I triggered? And then some of my friends saw me like that and they were like, why are you like that? And I was like, yeah, why am I like that? <laughs> so yeah, lots of challenging moments when I, when I came back to, to China. Yeah. But going back to your podcast for a minute. So you started your podcast, right? Did you even know like what kind of format you would do? Because no. <laughs> it's pretty hard to continue all of that for, for 10, well, up to 300 episodes, I think you're up to, coming up yep. to, without a clear kind of format. You're kind of like treading on water. Did you feel like that? 
There was no plan. When we originally spoke about doing it, there were all kinds of ideas floated. And back then, nearly three years ago, there, there were watch podcasts. There were ones that had been around for a very, very long time. One of the guys or the pair of guys that we really looked up to was the two broke watch snobs because they had a very F you attitude where they would just come on, talk about things and be hilarious from day one, right from the off. They swore quite a lot, maybe a little bit more than they should have, but the stuff was funny and some of the, the most tears in my eyes, laugh out loud moments listening to a podcast were listening to those two. They didn't have an agenda or a set structure, whereas Hodinky Radio kind of did and others kind of did. They would have uh, this segment here followed by this segment. And it wasn't regimented, but we didn't feel as if there needed to be that kind of structure. We wanted it to be almost like you're listening to some friends speaking about something they're passionate about. And every week, those friends sitting down and talking about things, it wouldn't be in the same order, because that wouldn't be organic. We never forced it. We would have maybe a bullet point list of some of the key things we wanted to talk about. For instance, maybe we'd gone into a store and there'd been a new product that we'd seen, or maybe I'd seen and he'd seen. That would be basically it. And then we would talk. And before you knew it, it was over an hour. We had to stop the recording and begin the editing. So things have changed along the way. Now what we tend to do on a Monday is recap the past seven days worth of news and releases. So the episode we recorded earlier today that's out now, because it was quite a quick turnaround, we talked about uh, various different launches like the new Speedmaster, the Chronoscope, a meme that I made about it because I thought it looked like a girl just drawing lots of circles and a dial and put that on Instagram. So we have fun with everything, but we've also got the serious information, the technical information. There's a new Chopar uh, Eagle that's got this high frequency movement with, that runs at 8 hertz. That got released, so we talked about that in depth. And that's kind of how it is. Then on Thursday, we do an interview show where we try our best to bring on a guest, a collector, somebody that runs a brand, maybe a CEO or maybe the person that founded the brand. And we like to sort of play along those lines. But everything can change. And for our 300th episode that we've got coming up in just a couple of weeks' time, we've really changed things up again. Okay. Well, congratulations on your upcoming 300 episodes. We, we, Thank you very we haven't much. got to 100 yet, but we already know. I mean, since we run our own podcast, we kind of do know the kind of work that's involved. But mm. at the beginning, no format, no real idea of where you wanted to go with it. How did you keep up the motivation to keep doing it? And how did you build the audience from scratch? Well, we already had an existing audience because both myself and Rick, my original co-founder who's, who's now left and he's doing his own thing, we had a couple of thousand people on each of our own Instagram accounts. And you know what it's like for us here. We had completely separate accounts, though that our friends and family didn't think we were crazy and mental having watches posted all the time because people, you can post your Ferrari, you can post pictures of nice cars, holidays, but if you constantly post watches, especially here in the UK, people think that you're kind of being a little bit arrogant and up yourself. So we had separate accounts. Okay. And through those separate accounts, we had other people that were into watches. So when we launched our first episode, we had a captive audience of perhaps potentially up to 4,000 people. Obviously, it was a lot less than that. And that gave us our kickstart. Starting it in January, like I said, the week before SIHH, we had Hodinki absolutely filled with press releases about what was coming out, this, that and the other. I think it was Code 1159 had been announced. There was lots of things to talk about. And we just kind of got that done and we started from there. I integrated the editing of the show in amongst all the work that I was already doing. 
So I'd be sitting in front of a computer editing video for clients anyway, and sitting down and editing a couple of hours or a, a, an hour every couple of days worth of audio. It wasn't a big massive problem until obviously I got really busy and then I had to sort of keep an eye on how much time I was devoting to things because it does it eats up a lot of time, especially when you're doing the two shows a week and planning it a little bit more, as you guys will know. Mm. Do you think that's why a lot of podcasts struggle? Because I recently read a stat, right, that um, the average listen per podcast, I think it would shock you, is 27. Like 27 listens, the average podcast contains 27 listens. Like, it must be really difficult to, to keep that up. And I think in our prequel, we also mentioned that, um, you know, some podcasts, they even relatively established podcasts, they may delay their release to, I don't know, twice a week or have a bit more of a sporadic thing because they find that motivation hard to, to keep up, right? Yep. I get it. And I'd also, I've been listening to podcasts since I had a Nokia N95 back in 2004. So since podcasts were kind of a thing, I've always been into them. And it was sort of tech stuff that I was involved in back in those days. Jacqueline won't know what that is, Nokia N95. She doesn't even know what Nokia is. No. <laughs> no. Old, she doesn't even know phone. what VCR is. Yep, there you go. Well, we, we are old. But that's when I started listening to podcasts, when we're fresh and new. And I think... What I learned as well throughout the years, because I'd actually done music podcasts. I used to do DJing and nightclubs. And monthly, we would record a mix and put it up in iTunes. We're talking 10, 15 years ago. So I had a little bit of experience with RSS and XML feeds. But you're right. Um, and also Podfade, where people would start off really hyped up. They would buy all the equipment that you see here, yeah, spend yeah, hundreds, yeah. if not thousands of dollars, thinking, I'm going to be the next Joe Rogan record a show, put it out there, record another show, put it out there, and before you know it, they've done maybe five shows, they've had ten people listen, no one's really subscribed, and they get so jaded that they almost set fire to the equipment and walk away from it, never to do it again. And I think it's unrealistic expectations. It's startup mentality of, well, I'm going to start this and I'm going to be the next Bill Gates or Steve Jobs in business. You're probably not. It's a lot of hard work, and you can't create that viral catch it, it has to be organic, it has to happen by itself, unless you've got massive guests, massive stars, and a massive budget. You just have to have some kind of magic that takes it forward. And I think our USP has always been, we don't take ourselves too seriously, we make mistakes all the time, we don't care, and we have a laugh with it. And we're also mm -hmm. Scottish. And mm -hmm. the Scottish part really helps us out, because everybody in America loves Scotland, and they love a Scottish accent, and we can do no wrong. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think not everybody gets the Scottish accent though, right? Because no. I've had a few people go like, I don't know what they're saying. Really? Because we yeah, we totally yeah. tone it down. I am speaking with my most polite, Englified accent at the moment. If you were to hear me with other Scottish people, the cadence, the tempo, and the speed of my speaking would be through the roof. I'd be using words you have never heard in your life, even though you are here in the UK. Can you but can you in a room. can you switch it on and off? Maybe, maybe it's three in the morning, remember? So, all right, well, try, try on the next audio question. Snippet. <laughs> try on the next right, question, okay. which was like, when do you know that? When did you know that the podcast was going to go somewhere? No, I can't just turn it on and off. I need to have another <laughs> Scottish person to take their energy. Uh, when did what was the question again there? Sorry, right, when did you know the podcast was going to go somewhere? I don't know. I right. don't know. It's, um, 
The way I try and explain it to people is it seems to me like a video game. And every so often we will we'll get an, an achievement, I think you would say, an achievement unlocked, or we would hit a certain point and we'd go up and along to the next level. So in the first year, we started getting big guests. We got Ariel Adams on, who is the superstar. You know, he's like one of the guys that you're like, holy Jesus, that's amazing. And we were just a couple of guys in Scotland in a spare converted room that's turned into studio. And Ariel Adams, who runs a blog to watch and is the, the, the king of online stuff, along with Ben Climber and other guys, I was like, wow. Then we got Archie Luxury on, I think for a episode. On. Yeah. What was that? Um, well, funnily enough, it's the only time he's ever been recorded where he doesn't swear. Right? Oh, is, is there no swearing on your podcast? Mm -hmm. he can, now, I knew that he could do this, and I knew that the Archie Luxury, luxury character was a character, and he yeah. was playing yeah. the role because he did an interview on Australian TV, and I think it was about the train system or something to do with the government, and they were coming after him because he had been quite vocal about something, nothing to do with watches. And when he sat there on the news show, he was the most polite, clever, upstanding member of the community ever. So I knew that we could cut past all the BS and get to the real deal. And he came on and he didn't swear once. And that episode is one of our favourites and also one of the most lauded episodes we've had out because you get to see the man behind the acting. And it was just amazing. But for things you're talking about there, you know, peaks and troughs, everything has been on the up and up. When we hit our 100th episode, we noticed that people took us more seriously. It was an accolade, like I said, an achievement unlocked. Those guys have managed 100 episodes. There's some staying power. Then we had our first birthday following only a month or so afterwards. Again, people said, right, they've done it for a year. After the first year, we got a mention in the New York Times. They did an article on watch podcasts and they featured the Grey NATO, Hodinke, and ourselves, 10 and 2, two broke watch knobs, and I believe worn and wound. Yeah, I saw so we that were in thing. like this. Yeah. yeah, so something that is internationally renowned. Again, a couple of guys from Scotland appearing in it. It was massive for us, it took us to the next level. Then we had, um, let me think, we did a mini series with a blog to watch which went down phenomenally well. I think it was about three or four episodes we did with Ariel on different things. Then we hit our 200th episode. And again, we went up. People took more interest. The people that had been sitting at the sidelines going, who are these jokers? They're not going to last. Oh, 200 episodes. And we were the first watch podcast to get to 200 episodes just ahead of Two Broke Watch Snobs. We did that. Then we had Jean-Claude Biveron. We had the CEO, Brian Duffy, of Watches of Switzerland Group just after their IPO. Then we launched our first limited edition watch in collaboration with Swatch. Then it was our second birthday. So all these things kind of came together. And then we started getting people heavily approaching us. We would like to come on your show. Our brand would like to be involved with you guys. We would like to sponsor episodes. And it, the tables turned a little bit. So it's been organic. Nothing's ever been planned. But those key numbers seem to be the drivers that have pushed us forward, hitting those achievements. And people then going... Who are those guys? What are they up to? They seem to know what they're doing and they're moving somewhere. And it's just worked out great. So you're excited to hit the 300 mark and see what achievements unlock yeah. then? Yeah, it's it's going to be good. We have quite a lot of things up our sleeve. We've been working with a lot of different brands, not massive brands, but brands that we appreciate and get on with. One of the things we've always said is we won't work with someone unless we like them. We won't advertise a product or take a sponsorship from somebody that we don't believe in either because 
we've always done this from the heart. We've never shilled a product. We've never released our own. Got to be careful what I say here. Never released our own products. You know, mugs, t-shirts, caps. We've not done that. We've been asked to do that, and we've always said, yeah, 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 in the future. But no, episode three hundred is going to be completely different. And after the pinnacle that is Jean Claude Biver for three hundred, we had to think long and hard about what we wanted to do. And I think we've kind of nailed it. So it'll be one to check out. You've mentioned a lot of strong guests there on your podcast, like, but which one has been the most, the highlight? I don't want to say guest, just it might not even be a guest. The highlight or the most memorable aspect of the show for you so far? You're asking me to pick my favourite child. That's hard. That's very hard to do. Three hundred episodes. <laughs> it's difficult to have standouts because they do change all the time. I would yeah. say our three hundredth that's coming up. That one is amazing. The information that is in there, the, the the nuggets of watch history that we find out about that probably nobody has ever heard about before are breathtaking and it's due to the people we had involved who have the vast knowledge and research of the subject. And I've been very cagey about what I'm saying so you can't figure out what I'm talking about. Other ones, Jean-Claude Beaver. I mean, you can't not be on a podcast with that gentleman and not be in awe and just sit there like this with your jaw <laughs> on the floor. He is, he's a, an old guy with a young heart and a young mind and he just goes off. And he was talking about the Apple Watch and how it was one of the saviors of the watch industry because it got young people wearing things on their wrist again. Nobody else in the Swiss watch industry would be saying things like that, you know? And he doesn't care because he's achieved God mm. status that he can say what, what he wants. And his mm. stories about how he managed to nickel and dime his way into watch shows, pretend that there was an interest in his products when mm. there wasn't. It was him putting on a fake voice and phoning up saying, have you got these watches in stock? Just brilliant. Uh, again, the one after that was Brian Duffy, as I mentioned, Watches of Switzerland CEO. He actually grew up in Glasgow, where I'm from, so maybe five or six miles away from where I record. And he came onto the show and he was all prim and proper, facts and figures. You know, I used to work for this company. I worked directly with Ralph Lauren. I did this. I worked at Wonderbra. I took Watches of Switzerland on their IPO and I generated this much income. And we're talking away. Everything's going well. And in the background, unfortunately, I have an ice cream van. Now, you probably know what that is because you're from the UK. Yeah, I love them. Right. Love the music. So, exactly. Straight, you've out got there. The... straight out there when I hear it. Exactly. So that's the, this ice cream van goes down my street and I record at home most of the time. So Brian's on the phone. He can obviously hear through the microphone, set up what's going on. And everything just stops because the ice cream van goes past and I apologise for it. <laughs> it. Happens all the time in the show. And he yeah. says, ah, oh, ice cream van. I used to drive an ice cream van in Glasgow when I was younger, back in the 1980s. I remember that. And suddenly this multi-millionaire, head of the biggest watch dealership in the world, is taken back to Glasgow when he was a young teenager, 20-something, riding about in an ice cream van, selling packets of crisps and sweets and chocolates to people. And we start talking about that. And he mentioned something, and in Glasgow we had something called the Ice Cream Wars, where rival gangs, mm. drug gangs and drug lords, yeah. would use ice cream vans to sell their drugs. Obviously Brian had nothing to do with that, but because he drove an ice cream van, he would occasionally be accosted by these gangs and gangsters. And he told me about the time that he was in his van and gangsters and cars were chasing him and boxing him in. And I just had a, 
hold on a minute, we've got the CEO of Watches of Switzerland on here talking about gangland violence in Glasgow. What the hell's going on? So that was great. That humanised the entire chat. It brought him back to his roots, brought him back to Glasgow, and it peeled back the business layers of corporate um, lifestyle and overlordship that he's used to day in, day out. So that was good. Archie Luxury, great show. A couple of policemen from the UK Flying Squad came on and told us about watch crime in London and how to protect yourself, not just in uh, London, but generally, you know, things to watch out for. This was just as the UK was coming out of lockdown and people wanted to go out. They'd been in their houses for six months. They wanted to go out, get drunk, have fun, but thieves knew what was happening. They knew they would be wearing a nice watch, they'd be wearing a nice clothes and they'd be drunk and they were going to be targets. So we tried our best to inform the public as they were going back out of their homes, how to try and look after themselves just a little bit more than they had before. Um, but there's just been so many, it's hard to recount over 300, the, the big standout ones. Tim Mossel had him on, you know him very well. Um, he was one of the guys that got myself and Rick into watches, watching his Monday night videos on Watchbox Studios. The information in a way that the guy looks as if he's reading from a teleprompter or a script, but it's boom right off the, the front of his head, you know, everything's instantaneous and those kind of things, those those were my big memories from the first couple of years, but it, they just all blend together because they're all good. I can't think of one that's bad. That's a good sign when you actually can't think of one that's bad. Everything you've said there does actually sound quite a standout. I mean, I like the, the police crime one. That's a good angle that I, I've never yeah. thought about. Um, you know, it's really good that you do that for the community. But throughout your journey of this developing the, the Watch podcast, you did mention before that you also changed your uh, co-host, right? Yeah. Um, and you have a new one now. How difficult was it to find the right person? Because I think you would agree the success of the podcast is also down to the chemistry between the hosts, right? Indeed, yeah. Well, we didn't change. What happened was me and Rick, Rick TikTok on Instagram, started things up. And everything was great until Brexit happened, which is coming up for just about the year. His main business is in transportation and logistics. So the company he runs pretty much, that's what they do. And when Brexit came along and there was no deal in place, it really caused some problems. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> so that happened at the end of last year. And he came to me and said, everything's hit the fan. I need to go away. I need to concentrate on stuff. Can you get other people to help out for the next month while I'm away? And we had already been working with Dave Sharp for the past year on projects. It was through him we launched the Swatch Watch. It was through him we've done the Red Bar events, the meet and greets, and he was an integral part of the team already. It's just when Rick had to step away for that, what we thought would be one month, he said, get the other guys involved, get Dave involved, get Ryan, get Catelyn, you know, the people that we work with. And Dave stepped in on a moment's notice. Uh, nothing was a problem. Everything was super easy. Whatever you need, Ricky, we'll keep the show running, blah, blah, blah. Unfortunately, Rick didn't come back after a month. He didn't come back after two months or three months or four months. Things kind of continued. And there were some other things in the background that he was dealing with that he had to continue dealing with. Then we did our video face reveal when we thought he was coming back full time. And then there was other issues that cropped up, which meant eventually he just said, I can't do this any longer and there was no falling out or anything like that he's still involved in the website the videos he's still in our whatsapp groups our team chats our facebook groups 
but he is away just doing his own thing when he has the time for it because things are so up and down in his own life that it just didn't gel with the amount of time that was required for what we were doing. But Dave is a completely different kettle of fish where me and Rick were opposites and opposites attract like the old TV show, The Odd Couple. We were a bit like that. So he's a very religious man. He's in the church band, he plays the drums, he's married, he's got a kid, he's got a wife, he doesn't drink, he doesn't go out partying. I'm the complete opposite of that. So that's where the synergy would work, because I would say things that were ridiculously close to the line, comedic, almost to the fault of being uh, intolerant to some people. And he would not have a clue what I was talking about because these things he would never have heard. So all these jokes I was making, innuendos, would just fly straight over the top of his head. And it was brilliant. Whereas, when I do that with Dave, Dave is just as naughty as I am. Naughty schoolboy. So he knows the jokes and the innuendos. And I say things all the time and he bursts out laughing because he knows what the joke is. So it's transitioned from one to the other, but it's kept the same humour levels. We may have tightened things up a little bit so we're not quite as controversial because we don't want to annoy people that are now working with us but no the same kind of feel-good factor has always been there and it was a, a very easy sort of changeover and Rick got super busy with things across to Dave um, and when you speak to Dave you'll see exactly what I mean there. You've you've uh, no you mentioned a lot of guests that you've had on that are pretty like wow to be honest but is there a guest that you haven't had on that you would love to interview? Aside mm. from myself, obviously. I feel like I've already know you. <laughs> um, people I would like to have on, it would be good to speak to Ben Clymer. Okay. And ask him what his journey was like over and above the polished mantra that he rolls out whenever the normal journalists ask him those questions because I don't believe he started out, and I know he didn't start out with a plan in his head to take over the world, and that just mm. happened. In a good way, not in a negative way. And I would like to know how he felt instead of, well, we did this and then we got some investment, then we got this writer. How did it feel? How did it feel to wake up at one point and go, I've got the world at my feet. I've just done a lot. <clears throat> I've just done a limited edition release with a brand and it sold out almost in instantaneously. Those are the types of things. I'd love to speak to different people behind the scenes as well. Some of the designers, the creators, we've had Roger Smith on the show. Mm. who everybody should know about. We've had Mike France from Christopher Ward. They're both really good friends, but they come at it from completely different points of the industry. One's mass production, direct to consumer, and the other guy takes a year to produce one watch. Over and above that, I don't know. There are so many people, it would take me forever to come up with a list. I just look at things on a day-by-day -day basis and then get in touch. Somebody I do want to speak to would be Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm because I listen to his podcast, watch his videos, and he does like watches. He's maybe not a deep enthusiast or collector, but he's also got an interest, a massively interesting story of rags to riches to prison to riches again almost. And I think he would be a great guest to bring on just to speak about his life experience and things like that. It doesn't always have to be about watches. It's about people and stories. Those are the kind of things that we always try and focus on. You'd have trouble like cutting Jordan Belfort down to an hour, man like for your podcast it would have It'd to be, be a like a series yeah a series of like five but yeah. how do you plan on evolving the podcast down the line is it more of the same or do you have ideas you know maybe you can share them or you can't share them and even like monetizing obviously you've mentioned that you are sponsored by brands do you yeah. see yourself monetizing in um, different kind of ways 
Potentially, yes. With the podcast, what we found is it's working. And we haven't really looked at it. We've never done any focus groups. We've never asked people to tell us what they like and what they don't like. And a bit like Steve Jobs and a bit like Henry Ford, we just attack it the way we want. We don't really play to the audience because the audience has come to listen to us. We've never asked them what they want. Henry Ford once said, and I'm going to mangle the quote, if he had asked the public what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, not a car. Right? I think, so, I think you did quite well there. <laughs> yeah, so people don't know what they want because they haven't got the vision to see into the future. You've got to be the creator. Steve Jobs with mm -hmm. the iPhone, the iPod, there was products that were kind of like it before, mm. but he took that and polished it, made it simpler, made it more attainable. And with the iPad, I think one of the best videos I ever saw when that was launched was like a two-year-old touching an iPad with the finger and being able mm. to do things versus a computer mouse and a keyboard. And it just mm. made so much sense. So I think for the future, we've got something that works. People aren't complaining about it. We're on the up and up, just like you guys are, like other people that are creating good content. And you don't really want to change it too much. I mean, Joe Rogan's formula for what, 16, 1700 episodes has been bring on somebody that is interesting to speak to. And as long as the products keep getting released and new people keep coming along, it's not going to get boring. Music mm. is guitars and drums. It doesn't get boring. But if mm. you break it down, it's the same kind of stuff. So mm. I think that's our plan for the future. There's no great ideas. We're not going to open a shop. We're not going to start selling t-shirts, but we are collaborating with different brands. We do have some sponsors that have come on board because they see the benefit and I was looking at what they do and explaining it to our audience in a way that is receptive. We never do an advert in a show where it's blah, 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 blah. And then you hear some music and we fade out. And this episode is sponsored by such and such. That never happens. We always make sure that when we've got a sponsor, it is inclusive, part of the conversation. And nobody skips forward because you'll know yourselves on iTunes, Apple Podcast Player. You can see the line yeah, and then you yeah, can see, yeah. oh, somebody jumped yeah. half a minute. Oh, somebody jumped 45 seconds. We don't get that because we make sure and segue something into a sponsor segment and then out of a sponsor segment. So it's part of the, the experience and that's all you can really ask. Don't want to change it too much because it works and we don't want to scare people off and nobody's told us we're doing anything wrong. Right. Well, that kind of like... We're coming to the end of your main interview and it would be a travesty and i know a lot of people probably are already shouting at the at the podcast so i've got to ask you some watch questions <laughs> like no yeah some watch questions oh but which watches do you kind of personally collect i mean are you allowed to share that what do i collect yeah. um not many i've got an okay. anecdote for everything you're going to hear another one here what we tend to find now <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know why my throat's a bit knackered. Um, what we tend to find now is because we are established, and again, you know, it's like level one achievement unlock level two, brands are getting in touch with us and brands are happier to send us products. So instead of me having to buy a watch or go to a boutique and try a watch on and walk around the boutique and then give the watch back, we are in the fortunate position where we're being sent new products on a weekly basis to try out. And in the last week, we've had quite a few in. Um, so collecting watches, I don't really have to do that. It's almost like I am a luxury sports car car reviewer. And every weekend, somebody drops off the keys mm. to a new sports car and mm. says, have fun for a week. Mm. I don't have to buy the cars because I'm getting to experience them all. 
in my own collection, it hasn't really grown that much. It takes a lot for me to really go for a watch. And I've only done that a couple of times in the last couple of years. When COVID happened, and as I'd mentioned, you know, I did wedding photography, video for gyms, nightclubs, music festivals, all that kind of just disappeared in the one day when the restrictions came in. So there's no point in me spending money on watches when I'm getting watches to play with on a weekly basis. Once that finishes or that dries up, fair enough. But in the last couple of years, I mean, the big watches I've bought, I've only mainly got three. And that is my Rolex Batman, the original GMT Master 2 BLNR that came out a few years ago and then it was discontinued. I've got a Tudor Black Shield Fast Rider Ceramic and I've got a Speedmaster Apollo 8 Ceramic as well. Those are the big three watches that I've got. Then I've got an Aorus Hangang Edition. I've got a Raketa Copernic and mm. various other. A Maurice Lacroix Acon Ventura Bronze Limited Edition. That's the latest one that I got. These aren't super expensive pieces, but they're ones that appeal to me. The way that I dress, the places I go, the things that I do, that's what I kind of like. Um, but then there's other watches that we get sent in sometimes that are so inexpensive that the brands don't want them back. For instance, Zelos, a brand out in Asia that produces amazing watches in limited numbers. They sent me a bronze watch and I didn't ask the price. So I was talking about it on the show. I'm like, oh, we've been sent in this amazing watch. You know, it's fantastic. It's got a loomed bezel. The crown is loomed, fully bronzed, really, really nice spiral effect on the dial itself. People were saying, oh, how much is that one? And I'm thinking, oh, I don't actually know. Maybe it's around about $800, $1,000, something like that. Somebody on the show says, no, that's only $400, that one. And I couldn't believe it. I'd only just got the watch that day, so they said to me, just keep it. It will cost more for us to arrange collection from the UK to bring it back over here, clean it, polish it, sort it all out, sell it second-hand, pre-owned, just keep the thing. Same happened with the guys at Nodis. We got one of their sector sports across. Again, it's around about £300 UK, and once we'd finished the review, they said it's not worth sending it back, and it's one of my favourite watches, not because we got it for free, because I could afford £300, £300, but the watch itself is fantastic looking. So my collections, everything from G-Shock to a 1967 Boulevard Accutron 214 Space View, right through to my Batman and the Maurice Lacroix and, and the Oris and various other watches. So it's quite eclectic, but, but I Huge, like that yeah. you just buy what you like or you even just collect and keep what you like and you don't seem to pander to the masses, which I'm sure you know exists, right? Especially oh God, yeah. on social media. And you've just probably been down to that London watch show where you witnessed firsthand all the hype over certain pieces, right? Well, London watch show was good. It was good from a standpoint of meeting people in real life because we've been capped up for so long. And one of the things I did when I before I went was, first of all, I'm not wearing a Rolex to London. We covered that with the police earlier. Second of all, there's going to be these baller pieces. I'm not going to stand out with anything here. And I don't really want to. I'm not very showy-offy. I've got a house, a car, a motorbike. I'm happy in life. I don't need to wear glitz and glamour and all the rest of it. So I thought, what will I wear? And as I say, one of the most recent pieces that I got a hold of was a solid bronze Maurice Lacroix. And most people, unless they're right into watches, maybe have never heard of that brand. They may have seen it in a shop window somewhere, but they won't have a clue. They may think it's an offshore or something like that, or a Nublo. So I went to the show and I wore that. And again, people came up to me who didn't have a clue about the watch, and they spotted it and went, wow, what's that thing? And I would show them. And because they didn't have any preconceived notions of the brand or it being a high street brand, 
when they looked at the watch, they inspected it. Some people had loops because we were at a watch show. They were blown away by the quality. And then they would say, oh, how much is that? Is that seven, eight thousand dollars or, or, or pounds? And I would say, no, two and a half grand. And they were blown away by it. But then again, there was a couple of people live streaming on YouTube. And one of the guys, Tim Wright, got me on camera and we're having a chat about things. And he was asking me, what are you wearing? And I showed him. And then you had all these guys in their pants or underwear, as Americans would probably call it, um, sitting in their mum's basement watching YouTube live streams, not actually at a watch show, writing comments saying how terrible and shit the watch was that I was wearing. And I had a good laugh at that because it just shows you that you've got true enthusiasts that are into the hobby, they don't care about the price tag, and then you've got the people that all they want to know about is the next Rolex, it's the next AP, it's the next Patek. Uh, and I like that differentiation, and I like showing mm. people up for who they really are. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that was a nice, pleasant interview with you. A nice little chat there, actually. Very yes. calming, almost. Um, oh, thank you. It's my dulcet uh, tones. I hope you uh, have prepared your questions for the reverso round. Mm, you only told me about this a little bit ago, so... <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, I want to throw it back to you and say okay. to you, you've obviously explained to me that you guys launched in COVID as a lot of people sort of found a little bit of time to maybe let their creative side blossom slightly. When you decided to launch this, did you have a plan of attack? Did you have a strategy of where you wanted to take things or did you just launch and then see where the road took you? Mm, yeah, it was like that, actually. It was... We were sitting down in a hotel during COVID, talking about watches. Uh, I remember very clearly, we're getting kicked out of every establishment we were in because, you know, everything was closing down earlier. So we were looking to a new place to sit down and talk. And then um, we just said randomly, you know, because we were talking about the waiting list, which is why the waiting list podcast is called The Waiting List. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about the waiting list on whether it exists or not, which is a very controversial topic. And, you know, some of the people there are, you know, VIPs. Um, they get access to a lot of the pieces anyway. And it was interesting to hear their perspective. But then, you know, some of this can be, well, it's not really said, you know, it's not really kind of published. And we just wondered if people would want to be a fly on the wall and sit in and and listen to it. And we thought, why not give it a go? Uh, we, we, I think the main thing also was during this period, I didn't have anything else to do. <laughs> you know, so I actually yeah. had time to try and actually do it, right? So I thought, okay, I'll put my mind to it. I'll do something. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people in this period just ended up buying more watches. But for me, it was just, okay, I'm just going to give this a go. And just, I remember, Long Long mentioned it uh in another podcast recently how and i totally forgot how you know you mentioned that some people they kit out their whole studio ready to like launch this podcast you know because they think they're going to be the next joe rogan but i i knew because i've done a lot quite a few startups and they haven't gone all to plan you know you do want to budget like as tight as you can at the start uh because it doesn't do great for motivation when things don't go to plan and, you know, we got some secondhand microphones off a guy uh, that I'd met on Carousel, which is kind of a very popular kind of eBay kind of platform in Hong Kong that everybody seems to use. 
And I just remember meeting him in the metro station with he had four microphones and you know, his business had gone down the pan because of COVID and he was needing to sell all this stuff that was in his uh, kind of storage and his wife had pressured him to do so maybe because they were short of cash or something like this. Right. I just remember initially going for one, but I know I needed more. I knew I needed more. And he goes, I've got more of these. And I was like, oh, really? How, how many did you have? <laughs> He's got, I've got about eight. I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. And then there was a lot of research, you know, the, the, the interface that you're talking about, the Zoom H2, H6, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a fair bit of research with somebody, actually Kevin Carreau from Revolution. Um, I did that and asked him because they did their podcast and I thought their audio sounded pretty good. So I had no editing like background. In fact, Long Long here does most of the editing. Um, and it was really just exploring and finding, you know, more out. And I do mm. think when you do start off, you do need that naivety because otherwise you just talk yourself out from doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you need to be kind of balance it with being realistic as well. You know, one, your expectation, what what are you trying to achieve? Little small goals here and there. Um, in terms of like subscribers and listeners, we were like, okay, we'll get to this first and then get to this. But even now, like you're on th- coming up to 300 episodes, probably very polished. You understand your product very well. You're kind of going to keep doing it because you know it works. For me, I'm like, yeah, can, is our product actually the way it should be? I'm still thinking, you know, is this what we're going to finalize on? Um, is this, yeah. So there's still that exploration phase before we settle. But you need that. You need to keep that. See, unless you've got that burn that you want to try things, keep tweaking, keep changing. It's like the day you think you know everything is the day you don't know anything at all. Mm-hmm. Every day yeah, has to be a school day. Everything has to move. The world's not a static place. And it's forever changing itself. So if you don't continuously learn, adapt, and try new things and A, B, test, you'll never, you'll just get left at the side. Because there have Mm. been people that have started podcasts or YouTube channels that have stuck to the way they've always done it. And now they're getting leaped and bounded because new people are coming in with fresh ideas and it works. So it's good to keep that fire burning at all times. Just don't stick to one routine because if you did, you would just get past. Another thing I think about the podcast is there are a lot of skill sets that you pick up while you doing something like this. I've never been media trained and you mentioned about public speaking. I've done Mm -hmm. a bit of public speaking, but Jacqueline here, she's she's a pro. I I think you can actually tell when she speaks on the podcast that she is very articulated. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's certainly given me more confidence, you know, to in a public space, probably public arena to talk and kind of control those nerves a bit more or even not in a public arena more just in a place where there's a lot of people like more than average and you're talking i just feel a bit more confident in that respect do you find having done the podcast that when you speak you're thinking one sentence two sentences ahead so you're not saying um and ah and you know and like all the time no i'm definitely still saying um you know i think you are i think you're really good I think you're also something that, that came to mind as you were finishing off what you were saying there was you almost have a, a type of voice that a therapist would have. You're very <laughs> easy to listen to and you make you made me comfortable talking about things like my motorcycle accident where I nearly died. 
That was just like speaking to someone I've known a long, long time. And I've maybe spent 45 minutes before this interview on the phone to you. Mm. Most people don't have that kind of energy or that way with people. So that's something quite unique that you've got there. Oh, thank you. Um, I don't know if you knew, but I was a dentist before, right? So, mm. yeah, I was a dentist before. So in the, so space, of like, in the space of five, 10 minutes, right, I've got to make you trust me. Um, mm. Let me do Open something your in your mouth. Yeah, open your mouth. Let me do something in your mouth. But the main part is I've got to be able to charge you like hundreds of pounds for it, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, that skill of somebody walking in that door, being able to read them, almost knowing what product, because dentistry is still, you know, I'm selling you a product. I mean, people won't like to think of it like that, but I am, you know. Let's say you're going for a filling. I mean, there's loads of different fillings I could offer you. Which one do I think you're going to go for, right? It's based on a lot of how I think. Yeah, of course, I'm thinking for the best of you as well. But I'm trying to match up, you know, the best salespeople are actually trying to match up the right product to the right consumer, right? So I have to do that in five minutes. And know also, when your mouth is open, you're not talking to me. So I've got to pick up a lot of vibes, a lot of body language, know what to say. And then also for you to leave, thinking that you got value. Correct. Right. So in 10 minutes, a lot of the appointments, by the way, are 10 minutes, although I know the patient comes in and they think, oh, I was there for half an hour. You weren't, trust me, because I'm looking <laughs> at the minute. When I, when, I, when I was working, I was like looking at the minute of where that minute hand was, was falling. So I knew if I was two minutes late, two minutes like early before uh, the next patient, I knew exactly where I was. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of uh, multitasking Although mm-hmm. I don't think I'm a particularly good multitasker when you're doing that dentistry. So I think that helped me break barriers very quickly. Um, that would explain it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So, right. Well, we'll go straight on to the pump push around now. Okay. Which is a series okay. of uh, questions um, which are not related to watches. And it's just, uh, yeah, just for a bit of fun, really. So number one. What to you is the most misunderstood thing about Scotland? (laughs) Probably stereotypes. Yeah. Right. Most people still think of Australia as guys kicking around like Crocodile (laughs) Dundee. Okay. Most people think of Scotland as a cross between Braveheart and (laughs) Highlander. And it is not the case. We don't eat haggis every day. We've not all seen the Loch Ness Monster and we don't live in castles wearing skirts. So that's probably the first thing. Um, Stereotypes. We're also not drunk all the time, just half the time. (laughs) Right. Please, Jacqueline, come in. Can you quickly explain to people what haggis is? Because I've seen people on YouTube doing haggis challenges and I can never really spot out what exactly they're eating and i've seen photos online but i can't make out the component like the individual ingredient no you cannot explain to people no i've never eaten haggis (laughs) wait jacqueline have you never actually like do you actually not know what haggis is i have an idea but I've never really, I couldn't make out like the ingredients from looking yeah, at because, the photos. Because it's believe, everything mixed in. Yeah, it's a jumble sale of meat yeah. mixed in a sheep's stomach, perhaps. Is that about right? 
Yeah, I know it's something to do yeah. with the stomach. No, it, um, they use the yeah. stomach lining as like the, it's kind of like sausage casing. So yeah. you're just using the stomach lining to stuff everything in. So it has like, ev- it has just everything. random stuff inside. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like Chinese sausage, which basically has everything inside. We just didn't know about it. Yeah. Okay. If it's hidden, you don't know. Yeah. And why do then why do yeah. people make it a challenge? Because usually when people make it a challenge, the idea of it, they think it's gross, but it really is like blood sausage. You don't know what goes inside. Yeah. Yeah. You go to the top of the class, honorary <laughs> Scots person. My first boyfriend was Scottish. This is how I know this. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> So, so, but how come, but you've never eaten it. So it's not like something that, I guess it's like the equivalent of, you would think that like an Icelander have ne- always eats like green, uh, Greenland sharks, but actually most of them haven't tried Greenland sharks. And it's just like a yeah. stereotypical, like a tourist type food. And Australians don't eat crocodiles all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had haggis. It's really, really filling so heavy it's really if you have you're probably not eating you don't need to eat a lot and you're like so full and you're you're done for the rest of the day mm. so it's very filling so but that probably um, answers like my second question which was what was the most un- misunderstood thing about scots and probably not all scots eat haggis right i know mm. i put the answer in your mouth yeah there we go um i don't know because when you live in scotland you don't see what other people see about you because okay, you are the person be, that's you're the person in the like, cage, not looking out. You, people are looking in the way. Like mm. Scottish guys don't wear skirts or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't all wear yeah. kilts. Yeah. Um, it's not the done thing. We do at massive occasions like weddings. That is traditional dress. But on a day to day basis, it's too windy. We would catch cold. <laughs> so no. Right. Number three. What's the most beautiful place in Scotland? all of it it is there are so many undiscovered places and it all comes down to weather i mean the population of scotland could fit with inside london i think we're at 5.5 million people across the entire country and the population in london is larger than that it only takes a drive Uh, you guys have had adrian on the show from bark and jack a number of times and he moved to scotland a couple of years ago and he just cannot fathom leaving his house and pointing his car in any direction and driving for five miles and being in the country and seeing things. We've got things like Loch Lomond, Rest and Be Thankful locally, uh, Devil's Pulpit, where they filmed the Outlander series. There's just so many things all over the place. There's ruined castles that date back hundreds, not hundreds, sorry, date back centuries and centuries just all over the place. And if the weather's good and the sky is good, it, it can be amazing. I did a trip which is known as the NC 500, the North Coast 500, and it's a 500-mile trek up the coastline of Scotland. And I did that a few years back on the motorbike after my bike accident, because I did get another bike. I am stupid. I don't learn my lessons. <laughs> and we went up We went up one way, and we stopped off. And the best place we stopped was a place called Ullapool. And when we looked at the way that the sea was coming in, I don't know which part of the sea or ocean or whatever it was, but when it came in, it was that beautiful greeny blue colour that you see in brochures for holidays in faraway places like the Mediterranean. And this was the top of Scotland. 
Uh, and that just made me realise how beautiful a country it is. As long as you move away from the granite and the stone and the brickwork of the inner cities, it doesn't take long to find beauty if the weather is nice. Yeah, back in my dentistry days, I had this patient, right? And he wasn't Scottish, but his retirement plan, his retirement dream was to build a house in, on the Isle of Skye, mm -hmm. right? And he, he did it. He'd achieved that. It was the most beautiful house ever. Um, but then the pictures, oh my God. It's just like unbelievable beauty. I couldn't mm -hmm. say it's like a different world, but the light that he was getting, the, the difference in the light, it's one of my parents' favorite destinations. You know, they think it's one of the most beautiful places on earth, Scotland. And I remember when I was a student, I studied in Liverpool and I took the uh, drive up to Edinburgh and I took the scenic mm -hmm. route. Oh, it's like such an easy drive. Such an easy drive. As soon as you, it's like as soon as you cross that border from England, I think, wow. Yeah. And I, generally, I would say Scottish people, so welcoming. Yeah, that is true. So welcoming. My professor at my university was Scottish. Right. And in his time, he was probably the best dentist in the whole of the UK, probably one of the best in the world. Right. And he was a great, great teacher, like one of the best teachers I've ever had. Not not just in like dentistry and life, you know, the way he handled himself. Um, yeah, he was a great teacher. One of the things that I should have listened to was he kept telling me because I kept on asking. I was like, he was called Callum. So I said, like, Callum, like, why, you know, you could be earning millions, right, on private practice. Yeah. yeah traveling the world, doing all of that. And he goes, yeah, it's, no, it's, no, it's not a, like a surprise or it's no secret. You know, my salary, and everybody knew his salary at working in this position was like £100,000 a year, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes he might get some extra by doing a few other lectures and he would get extra, extra money. And do you know what he used to do? He used to get that extra money and buy more equipment for the school. Oh. Yeah. So he would say, do you know what, Daniel? Like, this makes me happy. You know, I have enough money. Yeah, that 100000 is enough for me. And I love teaching and I love dentistry. So this is the perfect place for me. Didn't really get it. Obviously, I hadn't had enough life experience at that time. And I remember my parents probably got it because on the graduation day, my parents actually wrote a check to him, right? And even then he said, no, don't write it to me. Write it to the school. Write it to the university. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, I won't say how much it was, but it was a you know, mm -hmm. significant amount of money. And they, yeah. So it was that very impressionable. In, that plays into a little bit of what I said about my bike accident. And when I decided I didn't really want to work for other people, mm. I took a pay cut by going out on my own. But I wasn't beholden to getting up at seven in the morning to be out of the house at eight in the morning to travel for an hour plus, to sit in traffic, burning fossil fuels, to then work and then to drive back. And then before you know it, it's the weekend and you're just recharging your batteries to go back in come Monday morning. So I took a cut to get more quality of life. Um, but less money and a better quality of life is the, the winning factor that people should look at. It's not, you don't, was it Steve Jobs used to say? You don't want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. So sometimes uh, quality of life beats having a, a chunky bank balance when you're not spending it. Right, next one. 
the most annoying thing about your co-host, Dave? Currently or historically? Well, I'll take both of them, if you can offer that to me. Currently, he seems to have a problem where when he records his audio, every so often he taps the mic and we don't know <laughs> what the noise is coming from. And he, he swears blind it's not him. And the thing is, his dog recently died and his dog used to come in and make a kind of loud noise. And now whenever he records in the house where the dog died, we're getting this phantom audio signal problem. So no I have my hunches. Yeah. So that's no that's the current problem that we have that's a real pain to try and edit out because when he's speaking and you've got it making a knocking noise, you can't filter it. Uh, historically, nothing much. Sometimes he is terrible at replying to WhatsApp messages and... Jacqueline looked straight at me because she messaged me in February and I never got back to her. Apologies. Uh, it does happen. But no, that's probably it. Dave's great. Um, if it wasn't for, as I say, Dave stepping in when things kind of went to the, the wall at the end of last year, we wouldn't be in the position we are in just now. The doors he's opened, the contacts he's got. Yeah. I mean, he's best buddies with Adam Craniotis. He's best buddies with Waco. He just clicks his fingers and we get interviews with some of the top people in the world and that has moved us forward dramatically as well. So I can't say yeah. bad things about him or he'll hit me. He'll really hit me. I'll be sore. Yeah. Right, next one. One thing you can't leave the house with besides your watch, your key and your phone. My necklace. Okay, tell us more. Uh, my mother bought this for me before she passed away. So I always wear this. Okay. No matter right. what. Number six, if you could just pack your bags and live somewhere else, where would you like to give a try? Give a try as in I've never been before or give a try as in I have been before? Because I've tried Where would you before. like to, if you had a one, if you could just pack your bags and go anywhere to live? Yeah, it could be where you've been before or somewhere new to try, up to you. Mm. I've never been, but about 10 years ago, I was thinking of just taking everything and going to Canada because a lot of people in Scotland had had the same idea. It was a bit grim over here and nothing much was holding me here. Didn't have any kids, didn't have long-term girlfriend or a wife or anything like that. And I thought I can just up sticks and head across because my grandparents were originally from Scotland, but they then went across to Canada back when people did on the merchant ships. So it would have been quite easy for me just to go across there and start a new life. But it's even colder and crapper weather over in Canada and they've got more snow and ice so that put me off and more recently um, a couple of years back again after my bike accident I just decided if I'm not doing anything or if I can afford the time I was just going to jump on a plane and disappear somewhere and go to new places and walk around cities so I ended up going to Madrid just for a few days didn't have a plan just got a hotel through booking.com jumped on an easy jet didn't cost much and I walked around the entirety of the city over two days, just seeing things, bumping into things, walking into places, finding museums, waxworks, statues, tourist locations. Uh, and I really fell in love with that city, the people, the way it was. And it wasn't super crazy hot for this pale-skinned Scotsman. So I would probably bugger off to Madrid because they also speak English very well. And I don't speak any languages, even English, very well. <laughs> Right. You probably answered this next question, but you can underline how important it is, perhaps. The best life advice you've ever received or even lived by? Live every day like it's your last. Okay. Right. The next one. 
if I could give you one day to spend with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? I would ask you to double that and it would be my parents, who are both deceased, unfortunately. That's pretty somber, man. Somber push push around, push around here. Right, let's liven up a little bit. Right, next one. Book recommendation, please. One, and what is it about the book that you're going to recommend? Hmm. I believe it is called Don't Split the Difference. So book recommendation or book I've recently listened to, because it's always audiobooks, I always have to be doing things. I feel as if I'm wasting time if I'm sitting, doing nothing, holding a book, using my eyes. So the book I'm going to talk about would be Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depends on It, from Chris Voss, and he is the head of the Black Swan Group. He used to be an FBI hostage negotiator, so he was working with terrorists. And through having doing that and been asked to speak at a couple of different events, he realised that he could transfer those skills into the business world. And he has mm. helped CEOs right through to, I don't know, floor workers in different companies learn how to work better together to get what they want without compromise and without pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. It's a really good book. Lots of examples that I'm using day to day when I'm speaking to podcast guests or I'm working on sponsorship deals or in my day to day business. Really good. Right. Last one now. Last question of the whole interview. One thing you want to achieve by the end of the year. We don't have long left to go. Oh, so, you've got a good three months. I know, it's but quarter. time is quick. A quarter. I want to get my ass out of this country. It's okay. going to happen. I've got a couple of trips lined up. I've already managed to escape across the border to England, so I got on my first plane in over a year and a half just last week to go to the London Watch Show. But I'm intent on going to Russia and also Dubai within the next couple of months. And the Russians are making life difficult for me with visa access and things, so I'm trying to get that sorted out just now, as if I am any kind of risk whatsoever. So I've got that, um, and also to get across to Dubai, so I am getting my second vaccination, even though I've already had COVID and managed to get through it with all the great antibodies and stuff, just to get that COVID passport, I need to go and get jabbed again. Have you ever been to Asia? No. Uh, would you like to come? Oh yeah, I, I want to travel as far and wide as possible. Um, up until just a few years ago, well, here's a quick end story for you. Up until 2017, I'd only ever been out of the country once, and that was on work, because travel never appealed to me. I always thought, again, being stupid, waste of money. I should be saving money up. I should be looking at a house. I should be looking at da 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 da. Um, and again, it was after my bike accident when I said, right, I'm going to start traveling and doing things. And the first time I left the country since 2004 was in 2017. And it was two and a bit months after buying my first luxury watch. And it was to go to Baselworld. And that's where the whole journey began. What would you say, just leading on from that, is the biggest benefit you've received from traveling? Or something you've learned? The world is quite a small place. That's what I've learned. And Scotland is very... I wouldn't say it's central because that's not the right word, but it's very achievable and quick to get to a lot of different places. From Scotland, I can get to London, Paris, Madrid, Milan, 
Geneva, Basel, fairly quickly, fairly inexpensively. And a thing that we did right at the beginning of the podcast, as I say, we did it the week before SIHH, we announced that we were going to go across, and when I say we, I meant me, I was announcing I was going to cross to this event, and it was only going to take maybe an hour or so by plane to get there, and a return ticket was about $100 to go to this massive watch event. Same with Basel World because it's the same kind of distance. So that's what I would say. The world is a quite a small place, and obviously through Zoom and what's happened with COVID, it's become even smaller. Well, that ends the podcast, Ricky. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. I really no enjoyed it, and it was great to learn more about your life. And I think there's some learning areas there, you know, especially about your motorcycle uh, accident. By the way, do you now see that as a blessing? I do actually, and I'll tell you what happened if you like. Because when I talk to people about motorcycles, they say they're quite dangerous. And yes, they can be. And then I tell people I've had a almost life-ending accident. And they say, see, told you so. But what happened with my accident was it was a really sunny, warm day in Scotland. They don't happen often, so we're not prepared for it. And I came home in a rush to go out with all the guys who I hang around with that have got motorcycles. Came home, my nose was playing up a little bit. I don't usually suffer from hay fever, but when it's extreme, then I do. And I reached into the cupboard quickly, grabbed antihistamines, took the antihistamine, jumped on the motorcycle and I was off. And then I felt a bit weird. And we all pulled in as we do for uh, bathroom breaks and whatnot. And I had a can of Red Bull, thinking, I'm a bit tired, that'll fix things, no problem at all. Jumped back in the bike, didn't really help much. And then before I knew what was going on, I was going around the corner straight at the front of a car. And what had happened was I had picked up drowsy antihistamines by accident instead of the non-drowsy ones. So motorcycles are dangerous, but if I'd been driving a car or a tractor, the chances are I'd have been sleepy and the same thing would have happened. But it has. It had been a turning point in my life and it's given me not fearlessness, but it's made me realise that another saying I'll give you before I go, if something isn't going to be a worry in five years' time, don't worry about it for more than five minutes. So do what you need to do in the moment. Don't worry about the initial consequences and if people think that you're stupid or if people are going to look down their nose at you, do what feels right to you because if it's not going to matter in five years, don't think about it for more than five minutes. Right, and there you go. The end of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, follow The Waiting List Podcast on IG and obviously you can find Scottish Watches by the same name by podcast on all the main podcasting platforms and also on Instagram. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much, Ricky. Excellent. Thank Thank you very much for having me. As always, thank you for listening to the Waiting List Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the Waiting List Podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.